Good morning, church. I am Brenda Rhoda, and I get to work on staff here at Grace. Thank you, ma'am. Um, Pastor John has asked that I lead us in a time of corporate prayer, and he specifically asked me to cover all of the ministries that we have, so I brought a list, because we have a lot. Um, would you bow your heads with me? So, Father, we're going to fix our eyes on you, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith, because you are our great high priest. You created all things, Lord, those that are visible and those that are invisible. And Lord, you created the church. And for that, we are very grateful. Grateful to be part of a body of believers that love you and desire to serve you well. But Lord, there may be times, if we're being very honest, that we haven't served you, that we've looked at our calendar, or maybe we've looked at our interest level, or maybe we've even looked at our season of life, and we've said, we're too busy, we can't. And so, Father, we're going to ask for your forgiveness over that because you have gifted us to serve this church body and beyond. And we're asking, Lord, for you to take this time just to give us a little heart check, just to change our hearts so that we desire to serve you. You said, Lord, that if we approach your throne of grace with confidence, then we can do that at any time. And so we're going to do that today. And we're going to begin with the men and women who lead this church. We start with the elder leadership team. And we're going to ask that you cover those seven men that leave this church. And that includes Pastor R and Pastor John. Would you grant them wisdom, discernment, and time? Time to do the tasks that you've asked them to carry out. And only they can do what you have appointed them to do. So would you protect them, Lord, in the ways that only you know? Help each one of them to serve with a high view of you, the one and only. Lord, would you be with the staff? Those are my fellow co-laborers. I'm so thankful for this team. I'm thankful for our unity. I'm thankful for our friendship. So would you continue to equip us to carry out the responsibilities with utmost integrity for the positions that we have? We're so grateful that you impressed upon this church body to focus on discipleship, to lead the same way you have led, Lord. And so, Father, we're asking for you to bring wisdom and honesty to the many who have been asked to be leaders here at Grace. We need you, Lord. Moses said that he would not take one step if you were not with us. And so, Lord, we're doing the same. Be close to each leader today. Father, with you watching over and holding all of the leaders, then would you allow me just to list out the ministries that we want to keep before you? And we're asking specifically for your encouragement, your growth, your wisdom, your leadership, all of it, Lord. We want all of it. In fact, Lord, grow them exponentially. Don't limit my prayers today by my words. I'm asking, Lord, that you do more, more than my words. And that's really, Lord, for the discipleship training class that starts in April. May these folks have such a passion to lead in the cause of Christ, Lord, that they would do it not only here at Grace, that they would do it in their families, that they would do it in their neighborhoods, that they would do it in their workplaces. Lord, I lift up our children's ministry 
and we saw some of those kids today, but just raise our kids, Lord, to love you, Jesus, to know you, to talk about you with their friends, to lean on you when times of need. We're going to ask that you cover Erin O'Hara, Angela Cantalina, and all of our Sunday school teachers. For our student ministry, Lord, would you put blinders on our students so that they see only you and keep a biblical worldview, to hold tightly the tenets of their faith in a world that would love to see them fail. Lord, we commit to pray earnestly for our youth, for Fletcher Abbott, Angie Dalavali, and our precious youth leaders. Several years ago, you birthed a vibrant small group ministry here, Lord. And in the last several weeks, we have seen that ministry really come alive. Groups that have been together have welcomed new families. All new groups have formed. And you, Lord, you get all the praise. Father, I'm asking that you be over the men's and the women's leadership teams. These are the men and women leading weekly Bible studies. Protect their time each week, Lord. They're on the front line. They're not only teaching your word, but they're holding some precious prayer requests before you. Each week, Lord, men and women come on Thursday evenings, and they come to seek healing in a ministry called Celebrate Recovery. Would you be over this team? Would you give them energy and longevity as they work alongside those that are struggling with a hurt habit or a hang-up? Father, we're thankful for two opportunities, both domestic and international, in the way that we can serve outside in discipleship, outside these four walls. So would you be with the team that's going to Vecta, Germany this summer? Would you be with the students as they prepare to head to South Carolina in June? And Lord, for the teams that do work every single week, whether they're at the Frederick Rescue Mission or they're down at Waverly at the Good News Club, and we have even a team here that's working alongside Karenette. Would you be with them, Father? Lord, when it came time to build the tabernacle, Moses told the Israelites what was required, their treasure and their skill. And then scripture tells us that the whole Israelite community withdrew from Moses' presence, and everyone who was willing and whose heart moved them came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work on the tent of meeting and for its service. Lord, we know that you will move in the hearts of our church family to bring in the amount needed to finish the space on the second floor. One of those who's brought his talent this week has been Pastor John. He has studied the scriptures faithfully. He's written the sermon and knowing him, he has practiced it. I know he loves it, Lord, but it still comes at a cost. So would you bless him as the word he preaches blesses us? And Lord, we leave all of this at your feet because in your extraordinary name and in an extraordinary way, you told us we could. So we humbly leave them now. Amen. Well, I guess you guys know why I asked Brenda to pray. When I came to this church five years ago, I learned very quickly she is a prayer warrior. And whether it was 
you know, whenever the elders would be meeting, we knew she was on her knees in prayer for us. Whenever I would ask her personal prayer requests, I, it just was comforting to know that she was praying for me. So I appreciate Brenda's time. My name is John Keeler. I'm one of the pastors on staff, and I'm glad you guys are with us today. And if you've been here before, you've heard it before. We're a church about discipleship, and we exist to be disciples who make disciples who live and love like Jesus. And part of that, as you heard in Brenda's prayers, part of our job is to equip you all, everyone in this room, to be a disciple maker, to be ready for the work that God has in your community and all around you and wherever we're sending you. And that has become even more critical today than ever. And I think, I think I'm not saying anything that you don't already know when I say that we have a serious issue in our country, right? Huge issue in our country. And if you look on this first slide with me, so I want to I wanna put some statistics behind my comments. Um, ones that, quite honestly, they were shocking to me beyond what I ever expected, to be honest, uh, as I began this, uh, preparing this sermon. But the, the chart on the left, it, it just what you need to know about that one is that it's essentially showing um, religiosity or the decline of Christianity in our country over the past 60 to 70 years. And the chart actually takes us out to uh, 2012. It's gotten steeper after over the last decade. And so you see this decline that started all the way back in 1962, um, and, and it's become steeper and steeper. Okay, and, and quite frankly, you, what, what was shocking to me is Lifeway did a study and they found that 4,500 Protestant churches are closing their door permanently per year. Permanent. Okay. And one of the main causes, I mean, you can guess, why do you need to close your doors? If, if, if um, why do you no longer see Kmart's? You know, or a lot of Pizza Hut's have turned into banks, right? Why do you close your doors? Attendance. People aren't showing up. Um, now that the dust has settled, get this, 40 to 60% of our pre-COVID rates are back. So 40 to 60% of the people who were attending before COVID have come back. And everybody, you know, waited and waiting. When are they coming back? When are they coming back? And, and this is it, guys, look around. And, and you know, we've, we've seen some growth, uh, but we are down from what um, our attendance was before COVID. It's, it's a fact, and, and other churches way, way worse than, than here. Um, another uh, statistic, only 6% now after COVID of, of churches are growing. 6% are growing. The rest are plateaued or declining. And, you know, while COVID definitely, you know, you can blame everything. I, I remember, you know, in work, you, you can kind of stack the blame on, on a market downturn or whatever. And we've, we've, we've definitely had a lot to blame on COVID. But really, what it did was it accelerated a trend that has been going on and on, as we've seen, for a long time. It's just accelerated the decline. And what that decline also represents is that the younger generation just doesn't want anything to do with church. Seven out of ten students after they graduate from high school, will not come back into a church. 70%. That's insane. 
And I'll tell you, um, the other staggering situation isn't just people that are on the sidelines that are Christians. It's people that now want to elect to say that they are not religious at all. Over the past 10 years, 15% of the population has shifted from Christian to checking the box of no religion. You know, you hear stories about Matthew Chandler and other, you know, you, you hear these different situations that shock you, right? And so, I will tell you this, as a parent, um, this, this blew my mind, and it scares me a little bit, if I'm honest. Um, you know, and so when I say we have a problem in, in America, we have a serious problem. And experts kind of outside of the church offer us plenty of excuses or, or reasons. Um, they say that the church is no longer culturally relevant, that people uh, don't feel like they belong. Or that people are too busy. We've become too busy. And inside of the church, a lot of times, you know, we've had our own solutions. We blame it on the youth as the problem. We blame it on the government or the schools. Um, some people still blame it on the music changes and various things. And, and there are a lot of, um, you know, symptoms to this problem. And that's what they really are, actually. A lot of the things that people are coming up with are symptoms of an underlying problem. And, and if you look at a population of, of America in most churches, most, not here, thankfully, but when you look at how churches respond to this problem and all these symptoms, they chase after the symptoms and try to solve them. Um, a lot of churches have given in. They've given in and, and have compromised on the truth, right? They've edited out sections of the Bible so that people feel welcome, that People do belong now, that it is culturally relevant, right? Um, and other churches, though, and I grew up in a church that probably, you know, would react this way, they've given up on the outside, right? Shut the doors, bar them, brick, you know, brick walls. I'm, we're giving up on the culture. We're in end times. There's nothing we can do. The world's supposed to blow up before the, the rapture occurs, right? So why are we bothering? And they lose a sense of urgency around um, what to do. But today, we're not actually going to make excuses, and we're not going to give up or give in. But we're actually going to look at what each of us can do, what every single person here is going to do to solve that problem. And it's a, it's a tall order, so get your pen out. So as, as believers, you know, we're not left to our own devices on these problems. Do you believe it? Right? Isn't there something or somewhere we can look for an answer to all these problems? Oh, yeah, it's the Bible because it has the same unchanging truth. And, and where we are right now in Acts, we wanted to just kind of, after last uh, week, you know, we really want to em emphasize um, individual prayer. We wanted to take a step back. We're at the end of Acts 12. And if you know about the, the, the order of, of the book of Acts, it's kind of divided into three segments. And I'll give you a clue. It, it kind of connects into Acts 1-8, where Jesus gives a command, you know, to go out, make disciples. And, you know, you have your Jerusalem section, 1 through 7, chapters 1 through 7. You have 8 through 12 is kind of the Judea and Samaria sections. And then as soon as we hit 13, we're going to see 
Paul, missionary journeys, the rest of the world. And before we do that, though, let's take a step back and look at this concept that we're going to look at today that continues to, to come up. And so when we look at Acts 12 especially and, began, and, and the chapters leading up to it, why do you think that we see a complete opposite trajectory of the early church? Why is their chart flipped around? And, and if anybody has seen that goofy commercial about the monkeys and, you know, that there's, there's this, this business meeting and these monkeys are celebrating, you know, and, and the, the chart is going up and then this one guy's shaking his head and he flips the chart around. It's actually supposed to be going down. Well, the church in Acts, the early church, their chart's going up. Things are exploding. Why is that? Why were they multiplying and why are we declining? What did they have that we don't? What was different? And I think about this. Okay, so you start to look at what their circumstances were. You know, they lived in an immoral culture just like us, right? I think that if we want to blame culture, they, they worked and, and lived in Rome. It was far worse than what we face today. Trust me. Um, you know, we're, some people are starting to complain or, or, or be concerned about elements of persecution in our country, and surely we have started to see minor bits of persecution for Christianity today in our country, and mostly social and some of that, you know, um, you know political aspects of where they're changing rules. But you want to look at persecution. I mean, the government, the religious authorities, they were after these people, these believers were running for their lives. So I don't think um, we can blame it kind of on our circumstances, like we're not getting a fair shake. And if you look at um, tragic situations like COVID, we can blame COVID. If you read, you know, the end of 11, what did it say? A global famine was coming. I, I didn't enjoy COVID, but a global famine would be a little scarier to me. So, you know, from, a, from a, one standpoint, when you look at what they faced, um, we're not facing anything nearly as bad as the early church. And yet, we read, if we look at Acts 2.47, the second half, what does it say? Luke gives us these progress reports at various intervals. And in chapter 2, he says, And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You fast forward through a couple situations, two imprisonments of, of, of the uh, the apostles and some things are getting worse. What do we read in Acts 6, 7? So the word of the Lord spread and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. So that word's increasing rapidly was moving us on from added to, so we're rapidly increasing now, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. And again, you fast forward through a couple other difficult situations, the stoning of Stephen, et cetera, et cetera, and you get to Acts 9.31, and it says, then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. And then we had the situation where we read, 
over the last two weeks, Herod turns on the, on the believers. He's trying to get favor from the Jews. And we read throughout the whole chapter of 12 is really is a story of, of Herod starting to persecute uh, the Christians. And what happens next? So we know that Peter was freed. And after he was freed and he moved on, there's a little bit of a dialogue, you know, and time goes on a little bit, and it seems like Herod just keeps going on. He's ignored Peter. He goes to this meeting in Caesarea. And, and we read in Acts 12, 23 through 24, a seemingly kind of separate story. It said, immediately because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down and he was eaten by worms and died. And I'll tell you, read the account from Josephus, the historian, and that's, that doesn't sound fun. Worms, um, no thank you. And verse 24 says, but the word of God continued to spread and flourish. And that word, it actually said multiply. Like in the Greek, it's saying it's multiplying. It's just, it, he's moving from addition. He's, he's multiplying. And there's really just two quick points that Luke wants to make sure his readers don't miss in connecting the story of Peter with this Herod and his dying from worms. He uses the same word, that word struck. Remember with Peter waking up in the middle of his peaceful, you know, um, sleep in a prison cell? The angel, the same angel of the Lord that struck, is the same word, struck Peter to wake him and deliver him, was the same angel of the Lord that struck Herod and killed him. And so there's a connection point. These things are not unrelated. And also, he's connecting that theme that we saw back in 12.5 and 12.12 about this earnest all-night prayer vigil, that prayer was surrounding Peter and his release, that prayer was surrounding their circumstances and their challenges. And what happens after God answers those prayers, strikes Herod down, the church multiplies again. He's removing roadblocks through prayer. He's knocking things out of the way through prayer. He's breaking prison cells through prayer. So what's the answer to this problem? The answer and the key to what the early church had that we do not have today, and I absolutely believe this today, we do not have the power of corporate prayer that once existed here. Ask stories from those who have been here for 20 or 30 years. They'll tell you that this church and, 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 our, and our culture was all about prayer years ago, okay? But we've lost this, this, in, this emphasis on prayer. But the early church knew all about it. If you read through, you find that they are a people of corporate prayer exclusively. I mean, every situation from the end of chapter one to the beginning of chapter two, you see that the church is actually born out of a prayer meeting on Pentecost. Everything they do, every important decision is brought to the Lord in prayer. Every time they commission someone for service, when they have sick, they pray. Spiritual needs, they pray. They prayed for their enemies. They were praying for miracles, when they faced opposition and danger, they prayed. And you know what? The Lord shook houses through prayers. He raised up miracles, healed others. And, and you know, we've lost that power and we've lost that urgency 
to come here together and pray. And I, I remember last week, you know, if, if we were talking about personal prayer lives, and very few of us would probably have raised our hand and said, I am completely satisfied with my personal prayer life, right? And I won't ask you to do that now. But very few people have strong individual prayer lives. But even fewer, I mean, we're, we are weak in the area of corporate prayer. We've, we've lost an urgency around prayer and a burden for prayer. I think, you know, you look at, groups coming together. You can get people to come together a lot more for worship songs and so forth than, than to, you know, to spend a lot of time in prayer. And small groups probably spend, what, five or ten minutes on prayer when they get together. And I remember, I mean, I, I don't want to, you know, use one of those I remember back in the day situations, but we used to have prayer meetings, Sunday nights. We were on our knees praying as a corporate body. I remember my dad taking me to all-day Saturday prayer breakfasts. And I, I can tell you as a kid, these were not, you know, my favorite times. But we used to really prioritize prayer. Our youth group would have a lock-in and have 24 hours of prayer and have small groups of people replacing each other and praying through the night. But... You know, I have to say, you know, part of that chart in 1962, they removed prayer from schools in 1962. Did you know that? And that's when that, that curve. So the government is responsible for removing prayer in schools, but we're responsible for removing prayer in churches. And that's, that's the staggering thing to me because we're not on our knees. And, and you know what? Prayer is actually always what precedes a great movement of God. Hear me. It always precedes a great movement of God. The historian J. Uh, Orr, okay, J. Edgar Orr, said, and, and he was a historian about revivals in, 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 um, in church history, and, and he actually said, no great spiritual awakening has begun anywhere in the world apart from united prayer. And he said, Christians must be persistently praying for revival. And we're going to see a little bit of, of what he's talking about through uh, church history. But before I do, I want to take, take some time for prayer and ask um, Paul Wareham to come up. He's another prayer warrior that I've come to know over these five years. He's, he's actually currently our um, project manager for our our um, renovation, but he's also so much more. He's, he's a friend, a brother, and, you know, he has served, if, you've, if you ask him to tell you the stories over the decades, I know he looks young, but the decades he's been here, I can promise you that he has served in nearly every capacity and has walked these floors and, the, and, and these buildings and, and, and laid prayer over them, and, and I'm asking him right now to pray over us. Thank you, John. For those of you who don't know me, um, I'm Paul Wareham. My wife and I, or my wife and I, we have attended this church since 1994. And the scary part of that is next year, 2024, that'll make 30 years. So it's, it's a strange existence, I can tell you that. Um, I want to share a couple of things before I get into the prayer. I used to, a long time ago, we were just a chapel. 
Before that, I think this congregation met at a school before we built the chapel. But when we started attending here, I started doing uh, property maintenance. And part of that was also locking up at night. And so I would come up here at night and I would lock up and I would walk around the parking lot and I would take it as a time of prayer. I would pray over the congregation, pray over the personal issues I was dealing with. And it was, it was neat. And as we grew, we had a need for a larger facility. And I was sat in the prayer groups, as John had said, and we prayed. There's about, I would say, 12, maybe 15 families. I look over there, I see Phil. See Charlie here, I saw the halfies. So there's about 12 or 15 families still here from the chapel days when we prayed and prayed and we built this facility. And as part of the building of this facility, we had an unfinished space that we were gonna build out in the future. And I remember the prayers, I remember the prayers. All of the evenings, it, it was an awesome time. Fast forward 20 years later, we're building out this unfinished space. And I was up here one morning and I'm laying out the tape measure to measure some space. And my tape measure crosses a prayer written on the floor. If you've been in the space, there's prayers written on the floors, on the walls that the youth groups have written. And I stopped astonished at the reality of this prayer and it being answered right now that we are finishing out this space that people had prayed for for years it's just amazing how God works and the things that he does through as John said through prayer Brenda made me nervous because she asked me she said, Paul, you didn't write your prayer out? <laughs> and I said, was I supposed to? So I do have notes, Brenda. <laughs> but before, again, before I pray, I want to I share something with you guys that blows me away. John 17 is really a prayer that Jesus prayed. And he was praying for his disciples he says, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They, they were yours. You gave them to me, and they've obeyed your word. Now they know everything you have given to me that comes from you. For I gave them the words and you gave, that you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. He's praying for his disciples, and this is like hours before he's arrested and taken to trial for crucifixion. So these are like the last moments of, of Jesus' life on earth, and he's praying for his disciples. But what really struck me is in verse 20, he says, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That is you and I. That is mind-boggling. That Christ, while he was on this earth, he took the time to pray to the Father for future believers. All who would believe, he is praying that prayer. That, that uh, causes me to really 
pause and think about the magnitude and the power of prayer. So please let me pray and pray with me, please. Lord, John is accurate in his assessment of our prayer lives, Lord. I must confess to you that I've become apathetic. I ask you to forgive me for that apathy, Lord, and all of us here, I pray for passion in prayer, God, that you would bring about a conviction in our lives, remind us of the power of prayer. Lord, we lift up the lost, those who don't know you. Oh, Lord, we pray for salvation to come to them. I pray for the heart of the people of this congregation, everyone within the sound of my voice, that they would um, be blessed by you, Lord, that they would have peace. Lord, I pray for passion that we would have for discipleship, that we would be willing to share our lives, share our testimony, share our faith with others, that we would encourage one another. We lift up our community, God, in this the impact that Grace Community, this church, this body would have throughout the Frederick region, the Middletown area, Lord. I think about all of the prayers that are written on the walls in that unfinished space and how those teens were praying for those who don't know you, that they, they were praying for people who come into this place, that they would sense your presence and they would be touched by you. We have that same prayer, Lord. We echo that prayer, that this place would bring you glory, that our lives would bring you glory. Lord, we lift up our nation, the, the president, the leadership, God. They so desperately need you. Wisdom, God, they need wisdom. And sometimes it's easy to get caught up in the in the bad news and the, and the things that are not going well, but we trust you, that you are a sovereign God and things are in your control. Our responsibility, Lord, is to intercede on their behalf, and so that's what we're doing this morning, God. We're praying for our nation and its leaders. We pray for peace. There's such divisiveness in this country, God. Help us to Ignite that unity. Help us to find the healing paths, Lord. Finding ways to communicate with those that we might disagree with. I lift up the pastors and the staff here at Grace and the, the burden of the leading this congregation, God. Sometimes it can be a heavy weight. And so I pray for peace, as we go through the transitions that we're going through, you've always been faithful, God, in leading us. Even as at times when we've made mistakes, Lord, you are faithful in bringing about correction and direction, God. I thank you and I praise you for that. I lift up all of the volunteers that serve in this building. All of the faithful volunteers, God. I think about how they uh, sacrifice their time and their talent to invest in others. 
the children's volunteers, Lord, the small groups, the Bible studies. I thank you for those volunteers, God, and their willingness to serve you. Give us all that heart to serve in that way, Lord. I thank you for this facility and all that you're doing here, God. And I echo Sharon's prayer about the funding. We trust you for that, God. We know that you will continue your faithfulness. Your word says that when we are without faith, you remain faithful. And that is mind-boggling to me, Lord. There are times when my faith is weak, but you continue to be faithful. We thank you and praise you for that. Thank you for this time this morning to be in your presence. Help us to slow down, God. To not be so hurried. In today's world with 24-hour news, the internet, all of the busyness of this world, we are so caught up so easily, Lord. Help us to slow down and not be distracted by the things of this world. To focus our eyes on you. We thank you, we praise you, we give you all the glory this morning in your precious name. Amen. So one of my favorite verses that reminds me of how valuable it is to look back in the, in the scripture is, is Romans 15, 4. It, it says, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. So that through the endurance taught in the scripture and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. And, and you know, that's the message on the second half of this. I mean, it, it definitely was a dire situation that I painted, but we can have hope. We can look back. And, and for those students of the Old Testament and you've looked back, every one of you probably knows that there is a repeated theme throughout the entire Old Testament. It's lined with the stories of rest, ref, uh, restoration from, from sinning people, okay? We see it over and over again that the people of God sin. They receive judgment for their sin, but when they cry out in prayer as a people, God relents and he gives them renewal and, and revival. And that story is repeated over and over again. When you look through the book of Judges, when you look through all of the kings of Israel and, and uh, Ju Judah, you see this story over and over again through the prayers of Josiah and Hezekiah, through prophets like uh, Nehemiah and, and people of God like Ezra, and they raise up the prayers on behalf of their people. And that's really what the call is today that we would be a people bearing the burdens of our country, of our church, of our people, and that we would see a change here today. Now, the, what, I, what I always love to do too is when I've looked through church history, and I don't know how many of you have had a chance, I took a course and it was amazing. I had no idea that you will continue to see this exact same theme play out in the entirety of church history. Really, uh, it's, it's amazing. You have these periods of, of decay and decline in Christianity, and then they're followed by prayer 
and a remnant of, of believers that are on their knees in prayer, and then revival sparks again. And it's amazing. And, you know, some of you might um, know a little bit about the Reformation and Martin Luther. But what I didn't know, okay, so after he had, he had posted his theses and, and had made his stand, there were others that eventually gathered around him. But I didn't know how much of a man of prayer he was. And one of the things, I, I pulled out a little excerpt of a call to action. He was rallying the people because if you didn't know the story, they were actually at risk for their lives as well, right? From persecution from the Catholic Church. And this was like real persecution, real sword, real war. And he says to everyone following after his footsteps, Satan is putting forth his fury. Ungodly pontiffs are conspiring and we are threatened with war. Exhort the people to contend valiantly before the throne of God by faith and prayer so that our enemies vanquished by the spirit of God may be constrained to peace. Our chief want, our chief labor is prayer. Let the people know that they are now exposed to the edge of the sword and to the rage of Satan and let them pray. And we should do more by our prayers than all our enemies with their boastings. He was a man rallying people because he knew the power of corporate prayer to change the circumstances. And that was the fuel of the Reformation. And, you know, a lot of great work was done, but it was through the prayers and the courage that came through those prayers, the, the unity that came through those prayers, that the Reformation really took root. And unfortunately, this is, again, the cyclical nature of, of humanity. It's, it can be discouraging, or, or when you're in the pit like us right now, it can be hopeful. But only 200 years later, after this Reformation and everything they fought for, guess what happened? The Reformation grew cold. The Protestant church became religious through form and dogma, and they actually persecuted other forms of Protestantism, like pietism. And there's this little group of pietists called the Moravians, and, and they, there were several that fled their country, and they went to Saxon Germany because they were fearing for threat of their lives because of their pietists, their, their, uh, their beliefs. And it's interesting, they settled on some land in 19, uh, I'm sorry, 1727 on, on the land of a Count Nicholas Zinzendorf. You got to have some German heritage to be able to pronounce that one. But he, he accepted them in and took in the community. And after a little while, there was some turmoil in the community. There was some division because here all these refugees kept piling in to his, on his land, and they were meeting, and there were some Lutherans, there were some pietists, there was some reform, and there were many different opinions, and, and their circumstances seemed dire, and, and he called them to action to begin praying, okay? And here's what's really interesting about what he did and what, what the effects of this was. He started to have, after a while, he had up to 50 men praying one after another, one hour after another for 24 hours a day, 
seven days a week. And they began this prayer vigil. And they kept going, and they, go, they kept going, and it kept spreading. And they got to a place where, believe it or not, it went on uninterrupted for 100 years. 100 years. And what an amazing thing. But it wasn't only that that prayer was happening. All of a sudden, revival broke out among the Moravians. It spread throughout all of Europe. And then another fruit of this prayer revival that happened is that the pietists, the Moravians, led the way for Protestant missionary work. At the time, they, there was no missionary activity going on. And they started, because of this heart-filled prayer and this earnest prayer vigil, they began sending out missionaries, seeding the world with the gospel. And the effects of that are felt today. And, you know, you look over and over and over again, the Great Awakening, the Second Great Awakening, and, and as much as we want to have rose-colored glasses about America and our past, after uh, the Revolutionary War and before the Second Great Awakening, this country was in worse shape than it is today, by and large. All churches were on steep decline. There was drunkenness, there was um, robbery, abuse, everything was running rampant. A, a quote from John Marshall, who was the Chief Justice of the United States, wrote to the Bishop of Virginia, James Madison at the time, and he wrote that the church was f too far gone to ever be redeemed. And then Voltaire and Thomas Paine, they're you know, famous uh, authors and you know, irreligious people. And they wrote that in a mocking tone, Christianity will be forgotten in 30 years. And that's what people are saying today um, with the trends we're looking at. And, and they did a poll over um, universities like Harvard and, and, and throughout the United States. And they found that at major universities, there was not one person that would uh, volunteer the information that they were a Christian, not one. Christians on other campuses had to hide and meet in secret. I can't believe that's our history. I thought we are, you know, we're a country, you know, Christian country all, all through and through. But we had a real serious issue. And how did it turn around? Prayer. There were prayer meetings in camps, and, and, and it just exploded into the Second Great Awakening. And an and amazing story after story you know, people know about the Welsh Revival in 1904, you know, just sprung up out of uh, uh, just urgent prayer, spontaneous urgent prayer. And all of a sudden, the entire area changed to the point that they had to retrain the pack animals because they could only understand commands that included vulgarity and curses. And so when the people stopped cursing and they cleaned up the profanity, the animals didn't know how to how to uh, respond to the... And, and you hear about the barbershop quartet. That was a group of police officers who just had nothing else to do because there was no more crime. I mean, that's the type of revival that comes from prayer. And we even see a little, you know, of an example this past month, we see a lot of prayer that was going on at Asbury and, and you know, this revival was going on. And I know there's a lot of, you know... Monday morning quarterbacks, and they want to analyze everything that went on. At the bottom line of, of everything that went on 
is that there's this dire need for prayer. And, and we're missing an opportunity if we sit there and criticize or not, you know, try to understand. Let's pray. Let's pray that that really becomes something real because it will with prayer. If we mount up and, and, and join hands in prayer on our knees, it's amazing and people think we're crazy, but we fight on our knees, okay? And we need to keep fighting on our knees. And so one of the things I want to say, you know, first off, this church is about prayer, and, and we've seen great and amazing works here at Grace Community Church, and, and through the prayers uh, and, and the testimonies that we've heard, God is on the move here, no doubt about it. And I know, and, and part of, you know, why I came to this church five years ago was because this church is all about the word, it's all about prayer. I know uh, Pastor R has, um, is a man that is completely devoted to prayer. And I've learned a lot from him over these five years. And I'll tell you, you know, between prayer and the word and discipleship, that is what, that's the recipe that, that God uses every time to bring change. And we can begin here and we can continue to expand that change because um, I love the quote from Oswald Chambers. He says, prayer does not prepare you for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work right? And so what we can do today, what do we do today as we leave? In fact, I'm going to tell you, first off, before you leave, we're going to be praying here together. We're going to break off into small groups. Um, we're going to be praying together over some of the things that we've listed as important prayers, our community, our nation, our, our church. And, and we really want all of you to be involved. Grab your kids we told our kids, whether you like it or not, we're praying together. And, and, I, you know, and, and I think sometimes that's important to just model prayer for our kids. Model it as we disciple others how to really pray and seek God's uh, favor. And, and another thing that I'm really excited about, I think you know, we've seen the Holy Spirit moving here through the prayers of people. And we've heard those testimonies and what we want to do is there's, a, there's the, the small group table out there that we've been using. We have a sheet there. We want people to join up in small prayer groups. And, and this is something we're just here to facilitate you being the church and praying. Okay? And you can, you know, check a box for a virtual or in person. We need people to check a box that says, I want to be a prayer leader. And you don't have to have a degree you don't have to have anything special. You just have to be able to pray and, and to encourage people to show up and pray. And we want you guys to organize and create some prayer, prayer groups. You know, whether it's nights or weekends, there's, there's much prayer work to be done. You can also join. Um, we have over 100 people on our prayer uh, list. Our, our prayer chain and join that. I mean, I, I, there are tons of prayers that go through this, uh, this church body. And guess what? You have a minimum, you can guarantee if you ask for a prayer request, you have a minimum of 100 people on a prayer chain praying for you because I know that they're devoted to prayer. And we're, we're, we're also going to be highlighting, um, you know, in, in the next couple months as beginning part of our project, we want to uh, rededicate a prayer room over there um, as part of the renovation as we, we do some work so that we have an area dedicated um, for prayer throughout the week 
during or before the service, and, and we really value that, and we, and we hope uh, you get behind that. And I want to show you this last slide. And if you want to know if there's hope, thank, thankfully Aaron gave me this picture, and this is what gives me hope. Okay, this is our growth club kids on a Wednesday night joining hands in prayer for our country, for our people, for our community. You heard it in the testimony. You know, they're all about this church and this community and making a difference, and we're doing a great job discipling these kids. All right, so let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for all of the exciting work you've done here. Thank you for the people here. I, I personally thank you for the opportunity to be a part of a church family that values prayer, that knows that there's power in prayer. And we thank you for uh, just the hearts, the dedication, the hours upon hours of prayer that have gone into everything we do, the people that pray for our service, that pray for our people's needs, uh, the sickness, the, the, the job situations that are prayed for. We thank you for our care deacons who are uh, part of a prayer ministry over our church to uh, just to be on their knees in prayer for all the important things you want to do here and all the needs that we see constantly. Lord, just awaken our heart's desire to come to you in humble dependence on our knees in prayer. And we know that you are attentive to the prayers of your people, that your eyes are on your righteous. And we thank you, Lord, for just the opportunity to come to your throne in prayer, that you invite us in and you welcome us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.